The following episode contains recreated scenes based on FBI investigative reports, wiretaps, as well as witness and suspect interviews. I am Captain Dexter Comendador, the systems engineer in the 747-200 series. I was less than a year into my work with Philippine Airlines as a systems engineer. I was the third man in the cockpit, the one monitoring all the aircraft systems of the 747. The reporting time was around 3 in the morning, December 11, 1994. Manila International Airport had only two terminals at that time. So the airplane was parked in a cargo terminal. It was very far. When we arrived at the plane, it was not even prepared for flight. There were no stairs. There were no ground engineers, no security guards. It was dark. Looking back, it was already a security violation. We were cruising at uh, around 32,000 feet. Suddenly, the aircraft jerked. My head almost hit the engineer's panel. We didn't hear anything from the cockpit. It just jerked. It just jerked. The faces of the two pilots in front of me looked back and said, Ano yun? In English, it means, what was that? I said, sir, a moment, I will check the instrument panel. So I checked. And there was nothing unusual. So again, they asked, so so what, what happened, Dex? What happened? Sir, there's nothing, there's no problem with the instrument. Probably bird strike. <laughs> and, and then the two pilots in front of me were smiling. How can there be birds at 32,000 feet? The cockpit door alarm came on. The captain opened the, the cockpit door through a switch. And the purser said, Sir, a bomb exploded. We have tunnel vision. When you have tunnel vision, you're so focused on what's happening that time slows down. The captain instructed first officer to make the mayday call. The captain told me, Dex, go down and inspect the cabin. So I went down towards the middle of the plane and you could smell smoke and, and flesh. I saw a hole going down, down. So I, I went nearer you could see the raw window and just the metal of the skin of the airplane. All the panels beside it were gone and the upper panels also were gone. And then uh, on the hole, I could see that there was a passenger on the floor with my cabin crew, the youngest of them holding the, the passenger. Her hand was on the shoulder 
of the passenger and she she was holding an oxygen mask in his face his eyes were open but when they pulled him out half of his body was left in the hole the cabin crew who was trying to take care of him she was the bravest <laughs> She was the youngest. She was the most junior in that flight. And they asked her to stay beside him until we landed. So they just made it appear that he was alive and they were taking care of him so that the other passengers would not panic. So at that point, it was quite bad. The captain gave an instruction to turn left. There was no reaction from the autopilot. There was a small chance of survival. We said, if we could not make turns, let's try to ditch the plane into the sea. But that would be a, a disaster. The, the captain said, why don't we try differential power? If we lower the power on one side, the aircraft would turn towards the right. If we close down the power on the left, then the aircraft would turn left. The captain said, okay, he would be managing the pitch. Pitch refers to up or down, while the first officer would manage the thrust meaning it was straight ahead so that we won't move left or right of the runway or go out of the runway. I was making the altitude call out. So just before touchdown, I said, sir, you need force. You need more force. So he put his feet into the instrument panel and he had to kick and pull while his feet were up in the panel. And then he shouted, close the throttle. The first officer closed the throttle and I held it back 100 feet 50 40 30 20 10 Touchdown I, I think the terrorist did his homework because he planned for a U.S. version of the 747, wherein C-26K was supposed to be right on top of the center fuel tank. But at that time, we were assigned a European version, wherein C-26 was about two or three seats away from the edge of the center tank. If that bomb exploded right on top of the center fuel tank, the whole plane would have exploded. We were just lucky. I'm Mark Smerling, and you're listening to Operation Trade Bomb, an Apple original podcast produced by Truth Media in partnership with Brillstein Entertainment Partners. As I looked up, there was a yellow van about 60 feet away from me. It blew up basically in my, in my face. Salome's been arrested. He has connections to the blind sheikh. They arrested Mahmoud Abu Halima. They did? Yeah. Where? 
the Egyptian FBI. He's over there? Correct. So now we started looking into Rockman. Did Rockman instigate this thing? A fundamentalist Egyptian cleric insisted again today that he had nothing to do with the bombing of the World Trade Center in New York. He's been preaching that it's okay to do jihad and violence since he got onto the scene. Finally, after a midday prayer and several hours of negotiation, the sheikh turned himself in. A worldwide hunt is on today for a sixth suspect in the Twin Towers bombing, 25-year-old Ramzi Ahmed Youssef. Authorities say Youssef is the last member of the local group of conspirators. It's January, 1995. Less than a month since a bomb blew up on a Philippines airline flight, killing a passenger and almost bringing down the plane. And there have been no arrests. Manila is the first leg of a 10-day tour, which also includes stops in Papua New Guinea, Australia and Sri Lanka. The Philippines is home to more than 85 million Catholics. And authorities are preparing for a visit from the Pope. Armoured plating, air-conditioned glass canopy and puncture-proof tyres. All standard features of the 2.5-litre Mazda Pope-mobile. Four million people are expected to gather in the capital city of Manila. 20,000 police and military personnel have been put on alert. Not far from where the Pope will be staying is a nondescript apartment building called the Dona Josefa. Just a short walk from Manila Police Station Number 9. A call comes into the station switchboard shortly after 11 p.m. on a Friday night. Smoke has been spotted on the top floor of the Dona Josefa apartments. The watch commander and a few policemen walk over to check it out. In front of the building, they talk to a doorman. He says that two Middle Eastern men renting apartment 603 just left, saying they were playing with firecrackers, which caused all the smoke. But now, everything is fine. Just to be safe, the police take a look at apartment 603. There, they find chemicals, hot plates, bundles of cotton, loops of electrical wiring, a makeshift bomb factory. They rush downstairs, where the doorman spots one of the Middle Eastern men walking toward the building. The police arrest him. My name is uh, Napoleon Taas. I retired uh, Major General uh, from the Philippine National Police. And uh, during that time, I was the Chief of Intelligence Production of the PSG, the counterpart of the Secret Service. I, I was surprised uh, getting a call at about 1.30 in the morning of the 6th from my immediate boss to uh, meet him at the uh, Doña Josefa apartment. He gave me the address, 603 uh, Doña Josefa, and that's it. It's a very short uh, telephone conversation. When I arrived, nothing extraordinary is, is going on. This is just the security guard and a couple of uniformed policemen. I went to the sixth floor. And the first thing that uh, caught my attention is the computer lying on top of the one of the beds. Chemicals, uh, timers. Casio watches to be used uh, for IEDs, explosive devices. A couple of pipe bombs. There's a serious amount of explosives inside. And 
we also recovered right there a priest attire, a crucifix, brand new crucifix, rosaries, uh, picture of the Pope. We got the map. Mark in the map is where the Pope is going to stay. His route. With uh, the Pope's visit just five days away, that's when we, we really figured out that uh, the threat against the Pope's uh, security is really serious. But also this guy sitting by the bed. He was handcuffed in front. He was wearing basketball shorts, the kind that Michael Jordan used to, uh, to wear, not the ones uh, worn by uh, Larry Bird of uh, Boston Celtics. And so while uh, waiting, I started asking him about the Pope and he refused to uh, say anything. was taken to uh, PSG, Presidential Security Group, under our custody. It's a 10-minute drive from uh, Doña Josefa. Although it may not look like a, a Fort Knox, the presidential compound is considered just like your White House. So the security is pretty tight. So it's been up practically the whole, the whole night. We got the best uh, in investigators and interrogators you could imagine. And then uh, for the next two days, he started grilling him. Filipino investigators had discovered a bomb factory and what they believed was a plot to assassinate the Pope. In apartment 603, they also found a passport in the name of Ramsey Yusuf. Could it be that they just captured America's most wanted man? Word was quickly sent to New York City's Joint Terrorism Task Force. Uh, Frank Pellegrino. I started in terrorism in 1992. The first World Trade Center bombing happened in February of 93. I was assigned Ramsey Yosef. I come into the office, and there's a teletype. My supervisor says something happened in the Philippines. There was a, a smoke condition in, in the Donna Josefa apartment building. They saw all these chemicals and wires and batteries and the laptop. And they realized that something wasn't, wasn't good here. And the Filipinos have a guy in jail. They're saying he's Ramsey Yosef. So you got to go out to the Philippines now. They wouldn't let us come in until the Pope left because they were so tight about the Pope. Nothing else mattered other than the safety of the Pope. I'm Alex Paul Monteagudo. I was the chief of the counterintelligence group of the Philippine National Police. Our first reaction was, we got Yosef. Because we're not very familiar with Yosef, we worked with the American counterparts and they provided us better photos and they helped us confirm the identity of this guy in custody. His name was Abdul Murad. The Americans told Filipino investigators that Abdul Murad received flight training in the United States and got a pilot's license. Murad and Ramsey Yusuf were close. They'd grown up together in Kuwait. That's when I found out that Yosef is still out there. I was the one who 
who interrogated Abdul Murad. So what is the purpose for Bible? What? So, sorry, Bible. I, I first saw him. He was already under custody, and he was, of course, uh, in our interrogation room. He actually looked not really threatening because he was young and he didn't look like the typical, you know, tough guy. You rented a gown or vestment for priest vestment. Exactly. What do you mean by that? The dress of a priest. You have a collar? The dress of a priest, yes. With a white collar? No, no. I, I don't know about that. We don't have anything with the book. Our ending is the United States and Israel. Don't drink that. No, no. Just don't drink that. Put that down. You want to get treated bad again? Telling you the truth. There are a lot of interrogation techniques, right? You can tell him you'll be treated bad. Uh, there's this psychological effect on a person that knows that you have full control over over him and uh, telling him that we can actually do something worse than how we're treating him, you know? What is your plan in the Philippines? Telling you the truth, I don't have any plans in the Philippines. What about in uh, the United States? I have a lot of planning in the United States. What? What are your plans? We are planning. I have planning. I just, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I just wanted to assure you that that we didn't like physically harm him. It was all just talk. It was all just talk, you know. The immediate concern was the Pope's security. So we were focused on asking questions what was their plan against the Pope. So I immediately informed the director and I said, Sir, are we going to take chances? We believe there are still people out there who were with Ramsey Yosef because from our interrogation, we found out that they had companions and we have not accounted for them. And that was the worst case scenario that we were thinking because they could be just one guy there, launch IED attacks and shoot the Pope. So the director said, okay, what's your recommendation? And so the movement of the Pope was altered and he had to fly by my helicopter. I, I was there to meet him uh, when he was getting off of the chopper. There's a helicopter up there That's and right. people are blocking the way. And we have such a fantastic view of this from where we are, Loren. It was the most secured but also the most chaotic visit of a VIP in, uh, in the Philippines. Emotions are outpouring. Oh, yes. It's difficult to describe how people have reacted to this old man. Pope is making its turn towards Trino Avenue, but it's very, very slow. It's becoming a security nightmare. But the pandemonium, the sound, the din, the noise. 
the 263rd successor of St. Peter, the Vicar of Christ, the Supreme Pontiff of the Catholic Church. Welcome to him. Might invigorate him. So my entire family was there. They were able to uh, kiss the hands of the Pope. Not even in your dreams would you be able to uh, dream of something like that. I'm getting goosebumps now. Maybe I got goosebumps then. After the visit of the Pope, uh, we kind of wanted to pull our hair down and uh, relax a bit, but uh, that was not to be. I think the Pope left the 16th of January that year, and, and we arrived later that night. The Filipinos gave us all the evidence they had seized from the apartment. They looked at Ramsey's computer. You know, we had a Microsoft guy come in and uh, just tear the computer apart. And then somewhere deep in the computer, it showed various flight schedules for various flights, what cities they're going through, the, the times they were going through, the layovers. It actually said Bojinka. And it was just a made-up word by Yosef. It was not easy to understand the Bojinka plan uh, if you just look at the, the data that was taken from the laptop because it was a list of flights. And then what are all these flights about? They were supposed to put a bomb on a plane, get off, catch another flight, put another bomb on, and take the next flight home. And they would explode one after the other. All of them would be in the air. If you have 200 people on the plane or even more, then you'll have probably more than 2,000, 3,000, or even 4,000 people who die in 24 hours. After we broke the encoded uh, laptops and retrieved the Bojinka plan, Murad, he started talking and explaining everything because he could no longer deny. What will the bomb be made of? That would be nitroglycerin. How will it be made? The formula of nitroglycerin would take five of the basic things, five millimeters of glycerin, 15 of nitrate, and 22.5 of sulfuric acid. Where will you put the nitroglycerin? I'll take it from here, from the Philippines to Singapore. Nitroglycerin, it's, a, a, it's liquid. It's liquid, yes. When he mentioned the word nitroglycerin, it triggered something in me, and I said, okay, this guy knows something. Filipino investigators knew that nitroglycerin was used in another bombing the 747 from the top of the episode that killed a man and forced an emergency landing. In December 1994, there was an explosion inside the Philippine Airlines flight, or PAL flight. During interrogation, he admitted describing the type of IED, similar to what happened to the Philippine Airlines flight. And then it all came back to me, and I said, okay, it was... Uh, Ramsey Yosef, who, who devised that. 
So it was actually a test run for the Bujinka plan. What do you do in in going to Singapore? I'll put the bomb in United Air. United Air. Yes. What is your plan in the United States? The United States? Yeah. Killing Americans. Why? Why? This is my the the best thing. I enjoy it. There was also other stuff on the computer. There was this old game called Minesweeper. So the high score for one of the Minesweeper games was Salem Ali. One of the names Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was using was Salem Ali. Agent Pellegrino had heard this alias before. It was one of several used by Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, also known as KSM. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, although they're roughly the same age, is Ramsey Yosef's uncle. The JTTF knew KSM had sent money to Ramsey Youssef before the 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center. Now Agent Pellegrino had found one of his aliases in Ramsey's computer. So we could always show that he was attached to that computer in some way because he had to make sure everybody knew he had the high minesweeper game. (laughs) And the Bojinka plot may not have been the only thing Ramsey Youssef and KSM were cooking up in the Philippines. You know, Murad was a pilot. Murad had spoken about Yosef and him talking about hijacking planes. They had talked about flying it into the CIA building. You know, they had discussed doing that as early as 94, 95. So that was definitely in Ramsey and KSM's mind. You know, we gotta pay we gotta pay attention. We gotta we gotta find the guy. Next time on Operation Trade Bomb. There was an individual in her front yard, very nervous, had a a brown paper bag with what looked like a magazine rolled up inside of it. Inside its cover, Time Magazine had a picture of Yusuf, and he kept saying, I know this man, I know this man, I know this man, he's here, he's here, he's here. We don't know for a fact that Ramsey's in that room. We just know that our source is telling us he's going to be in that room. I said, you have my permission. My boys will be there watching you. And let's take him on today. Operation Trade Bomb is an Apple original podcast produced by Truth Media in partnership with Brillstein Entertainment Partners. Zach Goldbaum is our senior producer. This episode of Operation Trade Bomb was produced by Kenny Kusiak, Alexa Burke, Michael May, Meher Ahmad, and Alessandro Santoro. Story editing is by me, Mark Smerling. John Liebman is our executive producer. Scott Curtis is our production manager. Bridget Busa is our associate producer. Sound design is by Kenny Kusiak with help from Alexa Burke and Alessandro Santoro. George Draping Hicks did the mix. Music by Kenny Kusiak. Our title track is Momentum by Kenny Kusiak. Voice acting by Julian Patrick Samante and Ali Al-Faraj. Production legal by Ryan Nord and Matthew Papa at the Nord Group. Legal review by Linda Steinman, Abigail Everdell, and Alison Cherie at Davis Wright Tremaine. Fact-checking by Dania Suleiman. The production would like to thank Nuham Musla, Amr Latif, Ruhan Ahmed, Letitia Naidu, 
Ahmed Fateha, Hiba Afifi, Juan Bernardo Custodio, and Evan Pishan. Please listen and follow on Apple Podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to write a review.